Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of If I Only Knew. This week, Fred's back with us on the pod after doing some important uh, humanity health group business and, unfortunately, falling ill. Um, it's great to have you back, Fred. Thanks for being with us. Good to be back, Matt, and thank you for holding down the fort. No, no worries at all. I hope our listeners got something out of my uh, soliloquies. But uh, this week, I wanted to pick your brain specifically about some stuff that I mentioned on our last pod. And this is specifically about the uh, nature of kidfluences, right? Um, how do we navigate in today's age having children uh, being posted online with an online presence? Um, and I thought this is quite relevant. Um, you know, it's relevant to you know, the massive million follower kids who make tons and tons of money, right? Um, but I think it's also quite relevant just to like children in everyday life, eight-year-olds, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds who uh, probably want to have some sort of online influence in some form or another. They want that online profile. They see their idols have that. They consume a lot of online media and they may well want to be posted online themselves. Um, and as a parent, as an adult in their lives, what's the ethics of posting those kids online? Um, is, is that okay? Is that the right thing to do? Like, I think I was brought up to say, you know, you probably shouldn't be putting people online without their consent. Um, but what happens when the kids ask you to be put online? Um, can they be consenting to that? Is that okay? How do you navigate that as a parent, as an adult? Um, and I think this is a really gray area for me um, in a lot of ways, Fred, particularly if they like want that, but um, maybe you don't feel super comfortable with it yourself. Um, and obviously it'll vary depending on how online you yourself are as a parent. I imagine more online parents are much more comfortable with putting their kids online. Um, maybe that in and of itself is something to interrogate. Um, so I think this is something that um, seems relevant to me. And there's a few reasons. One, apart from anything else, is a lot of young people say that their, their dream job is to be a YouTuber, right? That, that went, that clickback title went around online a little while ago, um, instead of firefighter or astronaut or whatever. Um, and this makes some sense. You consume a lot of, a lot of these online content creators. For Fred, I suspect this is quite relevant for you because you've got a nine-year-old daughter. Um, yep. so does this like come up in your household? Is this like the, com am I, am I, um, right in saying these are conversations that happen or, or what's that look like for you? There is a, a famous Australian prominent YouTube or social media family, um, that have pivoted and I won't mention their name, but have pivoted a sporting career into YouTube and social media fame and, uh, music and a clothing line and they appear to be a lovely family and you wouldn't believe it uh, they make very wholesome content in my opinion and they're the people that my daughter would follow the most right and she had an encounter a chance encounter with the entire family on streets. oh wow not long ago and i've never seen somebody more excited and starstruck in their life mm -hmm. And the first question that they asked of her is, what would you like to see in future videos? <laughs> Doing their market research. That's good. <laughs> smart, smart people. Um, but it wasn't the kids that asked that. It was the mum. Mm. So I think there's two, two extremes to this. I believe that on some level, um, you are what you see. So if we see heroic images of firemen, that are hyper-masculine little boys want to grow up to be firemen. Mm. I have a great nephew at the moment that's four who wants to grow up to be Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. And I think that when kids see kids on YouTube, they think, I could do that. Mm. Mm. Um, 
I think this kid fluencer, and I'm going to draw a very long bow here because I, I'll give you the one in my modern memory that I believe that the mummager that we all talk about that really created this zeitgeist is a lady by the name of Chris Jenner, and she's very famous for having some daughters with the last name Kardashian. Yeah, right, yeah. And in fairness, they have pivoted to a multi-billion dollar empire out of what started with not wholesome content, mm. being like to the internet. But they understood the cult of personality. Mm. The issue for kids now is that kids don't really differentiate between um, somebody that plays Roblox videos, somebody that does unboxing of toys, the slime videos. I don't know if you've seen the slime videos. Mate. Yeah, yeah. And they go through fads and phases and, and smart people really know how to optimise this stuff on YouTube. So I think it's fairly innocent if kids want to create content. And I don't think it's a bad thing. Mm, yeah, right. Then think it becomes about parents to curate how that content's used. Mm, mm. Um, and I think that the concern I have is social media fame is a bubble. It's not the real world. Mm. Uh, you and I both, uh, from time to time, would do online gaming. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And we know that there are older kids and, and young adults and older adults, I'm sure, that make their money streaming gaming. Mm -hmm. The reality of that for me is if you've ever gamed for four, five, six hours straight, which we've all done, it's essentially the worst activity you can do. Sitting <laughs> in a chair, in a dark room, getting hyper-aroused, looking at pixels on a screen. Mm -hmm. So I think the cult of personality for kids in YouTube is a bit complex because it creates a false reality. And there's the dopamine hits of how many followers and how many likes. And that's the bit that I get really concerned about. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what we do with my daughter, Matt. We let her film content, but it's never posted. It's filmed for family consumption. Yeah, cool, cool, yeah. Um, and look, some of those videos are a little, look, you'd empathize with her, Matt, because the only thing that ever ruins her videos is the um, support cast, predominantly me. <laughs> you know, a bit of a wood duck, really. I mean, I, I you, know, you and her could start a support group of, you know, multimedia personalities that are dragged down by Fred. That have to work with Fred. God, what a, what a burden, hey? <laughs> I think there's one inherent concern uh, sociologically and psychologically. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll change the context. Many years ago, they changed child labour laws so you couldn't send eight-year-olds to a factory. Yeah, yeah. But there is clearly uh, a cohort of people that are monetizing their kids. Mm -hmm. I think you've drawn the, the two key ethical concerns that I have out of this here and one is privacy and i really like that way you've navigated that with your daughter which is the family space the offline space which is broadly i think um how it's been done before the internet right you you'd put on little puppet shows for your family that's been done for as long as my parents have been around as long as you've been around i'm sure it's been around for longer theater performances for your family right now that's been a bit different um and so you know you keep it offline um i think that makes good sense my question might be that i'd like to circle around to what happens if your child insists about like the online part of it being the thing that really intrigues them or really engages and they put all this work into making that performance um and what they want 
is something online about it. Um, but the other ethical side of this is, of course, the money. And is, of course, how do you manage the fact that these are children online? Um, privacy is complicated because there's, you know, bad actors out there, people who want to exploit these children, um, people who want, you know, to, to put them in compromising positions and that sort of thing. And, and the internet's quite sensitive about that. Um, but the money is something that's a lot less front and center, right? That goes on behind the scenes. And so it's really hard to actually keep track of is this being done ethically? Is is it being distributed ethically? And and ultimately, as a society, we've gone through this once before, at least, with um, child actors, right? And there was some massive abuses that happened, as I understand it, in the early years of movie making um, with child actors, um, in particular around the money they made, where just the, the law didn't account for the fact that, well, these kids probably should have some control over their own money. Um, I don't know how that works nowadays. And I don't think it's such a big problem for your average Joe whose kid wants to put some stuff online. But I do think it matters when we think of the scale of money involved here, because um, one of the things that I've come to with this topic is just how much money a kid influencer can make, right? Um, because advertising to children is profitable. That's that's a baseline. That's the model of YouTube in particular is they want kid-friendly advertising. Um, and so what's a great way to advertise to someone? Well, you put someone that looks like them in the ad. Um, great way to get that, that kind of rapport is to have a kid unboxing those videos for other kids. Um, and so I think that's like quite concerning when there is literally like millions of dollars a year in this and it does need to be managed well. Um, in, in terms of what that looks like for, for your average show, uh, my little anecdote for this is that even if you're dealing with somewhat smaller amounts, like if you're like a, a moderate mid-level advertiser, maybe you've got your own social media presence as, as an adult and uh, you bring your kid on board because they want to be involved and that starts to be quite successful, right? And you make a bit of money. The anecdote that that calls to mind for me is that when I was uh, quite little, one of my friend's siblings made a pretty reasonable amount of money um, from doing an advertisement. Um, and I remember that really sat with me as like, oh God, I wish I could do that. I wish I could make that kind of money. I could buy a PS3 or I could buy whatever video games I wanted to buy. Um, and that really captured my imagination so much so that it stuck with me to now as like at least a thought, um, right? That, you know, this lump sum of money. Um, and so I think, you know, there's definitely something where kids want that affluence, I guess. They want the pocket money that comes with this kind of work and they want those opportunities. Um, and I do think the dream of the internet and of this content creation is that anyone can make it big um, and anyone can make this content. And I worry that kids might not quite have the perspective or the experience to realize that that dream is mostly a pipe dream for your average person, um, especially if they're not, you know, run by a manager and they don't have a dedicated editing team and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that it might be easy for kids to fall into a little bit of the fantasy that these content creation platforms sell to people who want to make content. Um, does that seem like a risk to you, do you think, Fred? Yeah, I, it's that bubble universe that I think mm. I mentioned. It's the idea of if the whole next generation want to create content, and I, I've read an article recently that this is happening in uh, China. Mm. Classes in China, people are giving up viable careers to become online content creators. And it's caused significant concern because people are packing in um, possibly some of their best earning years in terms of social capital and personal gain mm. to um, hope that they can replicate a livelihood. Um, there are, There is no doubt that um, there's money to be made. 
But I would balance that with the idea that content, digital content is forever. Mm. Um, and I think there's a psychological component of uh, kids that want to do it when they're eight, nine and 10 and don't ever want to see it again when they're 12. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Get haunted by content forever. You yeah. know, it's going to be 21st birthday. It's going to be shown at their, their wedding, you know. So I think there's a balance between something that brings joy to kids mm. and a responsibility of a parent to say that's a little bit like television or a movie. It's a nice to have things sometimes, mm. okay? It's not something that is going to make the most of your talent. And if you're the rare one in, you know, 30 million that hits it big and mm. creates empire and stuff like that, more power to you. Mm. Uh, but I would say to parents who have kids that want to do it, time limit it. Mm. Yeah. Compare what they create to the internet. Mm. If it's really, really good and you want to invest some time, energy and effort into it, work out what happens if they hit it big. Mm. You know, do you want your kid to be the sort of person that other kids recognise? And unfortunately in Australia, and we've both been to an event many years ago where we met that had a great conversation about tall poppies, um, people that succeed don't often get recognition for that in this country. Sometimes they get um, vision. So... Do you want your kid to be this person that's got a great title and then, uh, you know, great recognition and a great income stream that other kids use that against them and call them names and stuff? Look, there's no doubt that some smart people have pivoted this into genuine money. And it's a it's a new economy and not one that my generation really understands. But the one thing I do understand is, and the thought I would leave the podcast on is, kids' psyches are still forming. Hmm. They're fragile. They need to learn resilience. And a thousand likes through YouTube is not a replacement for really good friendships on the playground. Yeah, I think that's really strong. It seems like we're both on the side of like more privacy, more caution, more um, kind of control and... and um, I, have a, I have a brief question for you about what if you're somewhere in between a thread? What if you're that 30-year-old first kid uh, millennial you've you've like got your curated instagram is it okay to like have photos with your kids on there maybe the kids aren't creating that content but is it okay to be the one that takes it over the first step to put their first online profiles on the internet i think i think it's a personal choice for parents mm. um i i circle back to the idea that what goes on social media is forever mm. There is no doubt I'm at an age now where um, family members, extended family, um, the little kids that I grew up with when I was a big kid have married and having their own kids now. Yeah. Nothing better than seeing a photo of the new baby on social media. Right. It um, is that powerful connection. Yeah. It, it keeps people close. I think in that regard, if it's for friends and family, if it's for people that know you that are that are on in your corner and that you want to have in your life mm. it's a very powerful tool mm. does joe average care about your baby if you're a celebrity if you're you know one of the new real housewives of sydney <laughs> um you know who are somewhat on the fringes of fame i guess i think it's a very 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 uh ill-considered decision to try to create personality through your kids I think yeah 
informed consent. So if it becomes um, commoditized rather than connecting, I I think that's a bit of a concern. Yeah. Thank you very much for that, Fred. I think that's some really like cautiously thought out like kind of attitudes to what is quite a difficult situation for a lot of parents to navigate. And I, I was quite interested to hear about your own um, approaches to that. I really like the idea that we've, you know, kids are always creative. Kids have always been creating stuff. And uh, this might just be another another version of that. And the question of how we are, how we keep it offline or keep them protected in that is, is, is pretty interesting. Um, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. It's been great to have Fred back on the pod. And uh, you can contact us through the email in our bio if you want to send us any suggestions or give us any feedback. Um, but... Uh, We'll be joined by Fred next week again. Um, And thank you very much for listening to If I Only Knew. Thank you, listeners. Bye. Thank you for listening. This podcast is a Better Pod Group production with special thanks to our researcher, Nicola Binks, executive producer, Matt Blanche, the providers of our theme song with credits that are in our bio, and of course, you, the listener. It's important to remember that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Whilst there are therapeutic themes discussed, in no way is this podcast considered treatment. And in the event you're in a psychological emergency, please reach out in whatever way you can through 000 or Lifeline 13 11 14. It's important to remember that the discussion is for entertainment purposes and the opinions voiced by podcast hosts are theirs and theirs alone. Any reference to copyright or copywritten material is, of course, the copyright of the copyright owner and or relevant corporate entities. Thank you for listening to Bed Pod Group Productions and tune in to some of our other excellent pod productions on this network.